People are fascinating and I believe that everyone has a story to tell of their travels, hobbies, passions and experiences. I want to get those stories told so they can entertain, inspire and showcase the amazing talents of people and giving you, the listener, food for thought. My guests have taken risks, put themselves out there, created businesses or taken their passion to the next level. I feel very privileged and honoured to tell all those stories in my All About You podcast. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to another conversation on the All About You podcast. And my guest today is Anthony Cummins from Ireland. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Sheila. So, Anthony, your background is actually in medicine, but your passion is in radio. But you've been presenting on Irish radio for the last 14 years. So can you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about medicine and then moving into your passion of radio? Sure. Thanks very much. First of all, thanks for the invitation to do this, Sheila. Uh, yes, my background is medicine. I graduated from University College Cork in Ireland in 1979. And thereafter, I worked in the NHS in the UK for 26 years in total, uh, mainly in Glasgow and Merseyside, uh, initially in hospital medicine, uh, a lot of cardiology and stuff like that, and then into general practice on the Wirral. Um, and subsequently moved back to Ireland about 2007, doing a sort of a mixed role, partly GP for a couple of days a week and then three days in a medical school as a lecturer. And subsequently, uh, that medical school uh, built another medical school in Malaysia <clears throat> called Perdana University. And uh, when the students were in fourth year, which was around 2014, I was invited to go out to Malaysia on a three-year contract to develop the Department of General Practice there. And one thing led to another, and before we knew it, I spent seven years there. My contract kept getting renewed, which was great. And so I was there as Professor of General Practice. So I also taught medicine, not just in the conventional teaching, like teaching about medicine, about consultation skills and, and so on, but also teaching medicine and health topics generally through the medium of poetry and song lyrics and short stories and film and stuff like that, which was uh, called Medical Humanities, which is very interesting. And I retired two years ago, 2021, but I was invited by a former colleague to come to my old hometown to my old university as a lecturer there, which I have started doing since last October, and I'm still doing that. But I'm going back to Malaysia in August to run a few weeks of workshops as a visiting professor in medical humanities. A thing about radio that I'd love to be involved in radio. Uh, my other background is in music. As a musician, I play the traditional fiddle and mandolin and bazooki instruments like that. I played in different bands. I had a band in Malaysia with some young Malaysians, and we played for the Irish Embassy. We played for corporate gigs and that sort of thing. But I was always interested in getting into radio. But when I worked in the UK, I did try to get into hospital radio, but I didn't get much of a response, so I kind of got a bit dejected by that and just gave up on it. And then when I returned to Dublin in 2007, my wife Martina found this advert for a local community radio station. 
and said, this is right up your street. Why don't you have a, have a go at it? We discovered that that day was the last day for submitting pitches for radio shows. So we submitted two, one for a health information show and one for a music show. And we got both. So I presented two programs on that show. It was actually run out of Guinness's, Guinness's storehouse in Thomas Street in Dublin. It was called initially Liberate FM, and then it was called Digital Hub FM. And then a few years after that, a friend mentioned that there was an Irish language radio station in the other side of Dublin, if I wanted to, to have a go at that. I start, that was in 2009, I think. I started that and I presented, I'm still presenting this show, which is called Gachtro, G-A-C-H-T-R-E-O, which means all directions or all routes, because the music I present comes from all over the world. So it's a fitting sort of name for the show. And I'm still doing it. And one last thing, it's won two national awards in Ireland. Now, this is in community radio, and it's an all uh, Irish language station. So all the broadcasting, all the programs are all done in Irish. So there you are. That's me. Well, Anthony, I'm just exhausted hearing about everything you have done in the world of medicine and then how the stars aligned eventually, mm. as in Martina found the advert on yes. the very last day to submit and you quickly put together two shows, not just yes. one, but two, and then both were picked up. I mean, it was meant to be. I think so. I think so. It's just serendipity that she found this and the advert, she found it on a wet pavement on a rainy day in Dublin, walking back home from school. She was his primary school deputy head and she found this thing, picked it up and sort of bring it home, dry it out. We could still read it. And that night we sat up in bed and wrote these two pictures. And as you say, it was probably meant to be. But also, I think radio is a great medium for uh, giving information. I mean, since COVID, what we've all become enamored by is what we're doing right now, a podcasting. Podcasts have become a fantastic medium for people to learn new information, to hear about stuff. But radio is a great medium, more than television, I think, much more than television. So I found it was a good way to get information across to patients about, to the general public, about health issues, about the big things like, you know, heart disease, cancers, diabetes, things like that. Because they often, often they find that their doctors don't have time, the consultants don't have time to explain things to them. And a radio program can fill that gap very nicely. It's interesting you should say that, Anthony, because I listen to a lot of podcasts. And predominantly those podcasts are about physical health, yeah. mental health, mm-hmm. self-care, meditation, all that type of thing hear something and then oh yeah I want to research that then you go onto the person's website and you see what books they've written yeah it it really does send you down the rabbit hole from that initial hearing conversation with somebody and it's also very useful from my point of view with my other hat on as a doctor and educator it's a very useful way to help students and other doctors to become aware of current best practice, let's say. If you're looking for best evidence for managing diabetes, managing high blood pressure, you will get podcasts from organizations like the Cochrane Collaboration, the Cochrane Library, and various other sources like that give really useful podcasts and spoken in a way that's understandable in clear English. And it's really beneficial. And some of them will have vodcast, I think you call them now, video podcast, 
where they will have, you know, a short brief video to illustrate about current best evidence for managing whatever diabetes and so on. I think the trick for those things is to make them succinct and short. I think gone are the days when you have podcasts that would last for an hour or two. It's far too long. Uh, most of the video ones that I would disseminate through Twitter or through uh, other social media, they're all three to five minutes long. They're very short. And we've done that in teaching as when I was in Malaysia. We developed our own YouTube channel. And so just to explain to students, let's say if they were ill, they weren't at a lecture, but to explain to them how to complete an assignment uh, protocol, how to submit uh, their assignment. You just do a brief video of that. You just narrate it on PowerPoint or PDF, and then you upload it to the YouTube channel. And it was very useful for them, very because they can access it anytime they like. They can access it on the go. They're sitting on the train. They can look at it and recheck you know, the details of how they should submit something for their portfolio. So it's all very useful. I think this is incredible because I don't think when YouTube started, we were all aware of how much of a learning tool it was going to be and an education portal. Yeah, absolutely. It's a phenomenal learning tool. I mean, gone are the days when you would go off and buy a book on how to do this. Now you just Google it on YouTube and you'll get these very explanatory videos. And, you know, they say a picture tells a thousand words. Well, there's no doubt that when you see a well-produced, short, succinct video on YouTube, it is absolutely fabulous. It's really good. And it's very emancipating when you go from not knowing to knowing practically everything about a topic. It's really good. I guess this is probably a bit like asking somebody who is their favourite child. But do you favour one of your radio shows over over the other? Because they're both very different. Well, I don't I don't do the health information one. I only did that when I was in the Guinness Hub store, the Digital Hub FM that ran there. I don't do one because uh, in, in the Irish language station right in the Liffa, I just do the world music show once a week. And that's enough. But I, I yeah, I, I've often thought about maybe going back to do uh, a health information show. I think it would be useful. Um, I like the breadth of stuff that I present on the show. I mean, it's usually just an eclectic mix. And then sometimes we will do a themed show. We'll do, let's say, recently we had one called A Taste of West Africa to give listeners a short taste, maybe about eight, ten tracks, music from different parts of the African continent, of, of West Africa, from Senegal, from Gambia, from Mali, from Burkina Faso. Let people get a taste of it. And I think there's lots of people out there who are at the stage that I was when I first discovered West African music. It just opens up a whole new world, a whole new dimension. It's great. It's really exciting. You know, you have to think back to what it's like as a child when you learned a new skill, when you learned to spell, when you learned to ride a bike and did something that freed you up and gave you all these new skills, open doors to so many things. And quite apart from, you know, listening to music and discovering new music. But generally, I think uh, when you allow people, give people the, the, the option of having new possibilities for you know, for enjoyment from music, from whatever, or learning new skills. It's it's phenomenal. It's great. So I like to be part of that. That's quite good. I like that. I'm I'm a very sort of nosy guy. So when I'm in a taxi coming from the airport in Dublin, let's say, and the taxi driver is maybe African, um, and I will ask where they're from, and then we'll have a chat about all the 
highlight musicians from Nigeria, if that's where they're from, or from Ghana, Senegal. I usually manage to get their name and their mobile, and then I will do, uh, I'll do a request for them on the show the following week, because I've been a patient too, as a patient in the hospital getting bloods. And I have a, a doctor or a nurse from Cameroon, and I chat to them about Cameroonian music. They're usually astounded that a, a local guy would know anything about these Cameroonian musicians, but I then put on a show for them. I put on a, a request for them on the show. And it's nice. We all love to hear our name being called out on the radio, something special for us. You know, it kind of gives you a good, a feel good thing for that day. It makes you feel good. I mean, that's a win-win situation, isn't it? It opens you yeah. up to, you know, a new genre of music or new mu- musicians. But then, as you say, somebody hearing their name read out on the radio and, you know, a selection of their music. I mean, that's just fantastic. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And it's nice for them to see that somebody in this uh, in this country, in Ireland, will actually will know about their music. And, and sometimes what I used to do on the show when I was see when I lived in Dublin, I worked at the Royal College of Surgeons before I went to Malaysia in 2014. So between 2007 2014, I was doing this live in Dublin in the studio. Uh, whereas since I was when I was in Malaysia, I carried on doing the show out there from our apartment, and then I would send it to Dublin via Dropbox, and then they would put it out, uh, you know, on Wednesdays continue to do that because I'm now living in Cork down on the south coast that's about 200 miles away and I started work again but I'm working in University College Cork so I I can't be in Dublin to do the show live so I do it from here so I'm doing the same in Cork as I did in Malaysia I just um, make the show record the show and then dropbox it up to Dublin for for broadcasting but you can do like a whole range of things like I said they can be themed shows they can be uh, a big mix of shows and if there's some event coming up, like, for example, uh, this coming weekend, we're going to Liverpool to uh, Africa Oye. It's a big annual African music festival. Thanks to Liverpool City Council and uh, everybody else, it's still free for punters to just go, go and enjoy it. And you get the creme de la creme of music from Africa, Cuba, you name it. And they're fantastic. And it's all free of charge. So AfricaOye.com, worth checking that out. So we're going over there for that. So I will do a show based around that festival and put on the music from the artists from that, for example. But the usual regular weekly show will be a mix of things. And then there's the occasional themed um, theme shows as well. I mean, I remember, I mean, when I was probably about 1920, I started working as a volunteer in a hospital and I came across hospital radio Because back in the day, before we had mobile phones and stuff, Mm -hmm. patients literally would have a book, a newspaper and hospital radio. Absolutely. And the the presenters would go around the wards with a pen and a piece of paper. Okay, put your favourite song down. Why is that your favourite song? And I just remember the impact that had on patients and the staff. Mm. When I started the podcast... One of the things on my list to do was to get somebody who worked in hospital radio. And I must admit, I put it out on Facebook and I had lots of people came back to me and and I chose one of the guys and, and he was absolutely brilliant. And we both spoke about the impact it has on the patients. Mm-hmm 
the impact on the staff as well. And it's a well-known fact of music and aid recovery. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's good memories of good times when you're living in hospice, mm. a song played at your wedding or good times mm. in your life has a real impact. So oh, huge, huge. And I think also from the point of view of healing, you know, uh, doctors still think rather kind of um, in a limited way in the sort of biological model of health and disease. And we tend to forget uh, not just about the effect of drugs, you know, the beneficial effect of drugs and surgical treatments. And these are all important, of course. But also there's the additional stuff, the intangible, but very meaningful, which is like, for example, the impact of having your name read out on hospital radio and somebody taking note of your favourite track and putting it on for you. That just lifts you up. And that certainly helps. When I worked as a hospital doctor in Glasgow, I remember working in an A&E department and the emergency room, and I would have a ghetto blaster up on the windowsill, and I would play this, this nice West African soothing music. And I carried on doing that. I did it also in my GP surgery on the world. And I'll tell you an interesting story. One day, a lady who was then in her mid to late 70s came in to see me. I'd known her well. I'd seen her lots of times over the years. But this particular occasion, she came in and said, I didn't really need to see you, doctor, but I wanted to come in to give you this. She gave me a blank CD. She said, I'd like you to record for me a copy of that lovely music from Zimbabwe you had on last week. So I would put this stuff on in the background. Low, you could hear it, but it wouldn't be intrusive on your conversation with your doctor. But it was there. And it often there's lots of evidence for this, too, in terms of medical research evidence that music, background music can be soothing for people. And I think it can also be can aid healing. Now, doctors, we tend to forget those aspects of healing. We tend to think of, you know, like I said, the biological, the physical, the treatments, but not these other aspects, which are just as important for your, your average person as all the other stuff. I mean, I, I can agree with you 100 percent because when I had some dental treatment before, which I know I was going to be in the chair for quite some time, I created a playlist and I said to my dentist, can I play the music with earbuds? She said, yes, one earbud only because I need to be able to speak to you quickly and you need to be able to speak to me. But it worked absolutely perfectly. It well, took great. my yeah. mind off the treatment. So yeah. this, I, I absolutely, I mean, I don't think we can ever underestimate the power of music for bringing mm. your heart rate down, blood pressure, relaxing you. There's also another another way, another way that music can be helpful. Um, I mentioned before about this this whole new concept of medical humanities, and that's what I'm going back as visiting professor in Malaysia to do in a few weeks is to run workshops about this. But I can remember. Um, some topics that are difficult to talk about to a class of students or postgraduates would be things like intimate partner violence, domestic abuse. You know, these are these are upsetting, difficult topics to discuss. And so we have to find ways that are more innovative, different ways of getting this information across, but without being too much of a sort of a, like a sledgehammer effect on people. You don't want to turn them off. So what I've been doing is there's a song by an Irish singer called Mary Coughlin. The song is called Poison Words. And it's about a relationship that initially was glorious and romantic and loving and then has turned into a violent relationship 
where the woman is scared of the man because he's beaten her up so many times and so on. So what we do to talk about intimate partner violence, I scroll the words on the screen and then we play it from YouTube with Mary Coughlin singing it. And then we have a discussion about it. Now, that's a much more fruitful way discuss and explore a topic like this than to give a formal didactic lecture, you know, like somebody standing at a lectern and just talking about it. There's not the same interaction. And you can go around the room and ask people their thoughts about it. And it's a great way to educate and to spread information than just giving a standard lecture. I mean, that's incredible that you have come up with the idea, which is a simple idea but the impact that will have to broach a very difficult subject is, is incredible. That's mm. genius. Well, it's not, it's not just for me. A lot of people do this, I'm sure. But this is a, a standard thing. In fact, if you look back at the history of medicine, certainly in the UK, it used to be uh, what is now called graduate entry. So somebody has done a degree already and then they go and train in medicine. That's now, it's a relatively new thing in the last 10, 15 years. But actually, um, if you look at Victorian England, this is exactly what people did. In order to become a doctor, you first of all did a degree. And usually, unlike now, it was in the arts. It was in English, literature, music, drama, and then they did their medical degree. Uh, whereas now we conceive of this as now a very modern, a new, new age idea, but it isn't. It's actually quite old. So using the arts in medicine is not a new thing. It's actually quite an old thing. And the other way we can do it is using poetry. We use poetry a lot, uh, and I do well anyway in teaching. And so one day I had a, I was doing this with first year medical students straight out of school. So they, uh, I, it was good to get them at that age because they weren't too influenced by the whole medical hierarchy and the whole structure. You know, they were fresh out, out of um, secondary school. So I started, I taught medicine proper, like general practice, family medicine to fourth year students. One day, one of the fourth years came up to me and he said, hey, prof, you know that stuff that you do with the first years? I said, you mean the poetry stuff, is it? He said, yeah. He said, I, uh, and he looked around to see if anybody was watching and he said, I kind of like that, he said, in a kind of a whispered voice like that. And he got nearer to me and he whispered. And I leaned forward to him and I said, hey, you sound like you're confessing. He said, I am prof, I am, he said. Oh, and, oh. and it turns out that he actually writes poetry. So later on that year, we were at another, at a clinic. And we were waiting to start the clinic. And we were early. There's a bunch of students, myself, about, about 12 students and myself. And he was one of them. And I said to him, I took him aside and said, look, this is a golden opportunity. This, instead of saying that you write poetry, why don't you just recite that poem you, you sent to me? He said, no, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can, you can. I'll be here, I'll be, I'll be with you, you'll be fine. It'll be great. I think they'll love it. And absolutely, he did. He did it. And they absolutely, they were bowled over by it. Incredible. But there's a culture, certainly in Malaysia, and also I think here as well and elsewhere, that maybe less in Ireland. Ireland is more kind of art, artsy, I think, more art conscious. But there's a culture generally in the modern world that when you start studying medicine or something like that, or law or some engineering, that you give up any tendency towards the arts, that just stamp it out. And that's such a mistake, such a mistake, because I think what makes a doctor somebody special who can communicate well is their interest in the arts. 
and their awareness how the arts can help them. And I think it does help them and it helps them in their consultations and so on. So I think we should be doing more of this, not less of it. I mean, that is so true, because I think during the pandemic, the amount of people who got out their colouring pencils, their paint box, their just paper and started drawing and painting, because we all needed something to keep us calm and get us through it. And so yeah. many people writing stories, writing poetry, making yeah. things. It was going back to let's you know, ignore technology and let's start making things with our hands. Yes, absolutely. People became more creative, but they, they, they allow their creativity to blossom and to come out. Whereas previously, they were too busy with their day to day work and so on, the responsibilities of family and all of that career that they didn't give vent to their creativity. But one of the I mean, there's not many good sides to COVID, but the pandemic did have this other side to it that encouraged people to show their creativity in all sorts of ways. And I think that was a really powerful thing. Yeah, and I think a lot of people went on to create businesses or actually to get those books and poems mm -hmm. and things published. So, yeah, there was definitely a plus side of it was an opportunity for people to, to get back into it or even start with things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes things happen for a reason at a particular time and maybe when you don't expect it. Now, my son is a literary fiction reviewer for The Observer and The Telegraph and other British newspapers, but he uh, he did a PhD in Oxford and stuff and he's you know very much into literature. But I said to him many years ago, even before we went to Malaysia, I said to him, I think I'd like to write. I was thinking about writing a novel or short stories or whatever. And he said, that's great news, Dan. I said, well, what will I do? He said, well, just get a pen and paper and write. I said, oh, my goodness, is that easy? Oh, no, no, no. I said, I never said it was easy, but you've got to do it. And then see what it's like in a couple of weeks. If you think it's anyway half decent, send it to me and I'll, I'll give it the once over. But I never did it at that point. Now, I don't know what it was. Maybe the impetus wasn't right. Then fast forward, we're in Malaysia and I'm teaching creative writing as part of the medical humanities for these students. And then it gripped me. Then I started writing. I went to a couple of creative writing courses and it was so liberating. It was great. And I had about eight short stories published over there. Um, so that I think for many of us, I don't know, I think the timing has to be right. The timing isn't always right, but you kind of recognize or you sense when it is. Go for it. I think and I think that's what the pandemic did. It made the timing right for many people to launch their creativity that they would have been uh, embarrassed to do or felt awkward about beforehand. But now they had they had the time to do it. And so the timing was right for them. I mean, I've had a couple of authors on the podcast. And I remember one, one of the guests I had on, he started writing poetry round about the time he lost his wife. And he oh. said writing poetry was the one thing that got him through it. He said it just made it that little bit easier. He said, because sometimes you can explain in poetry what you can't explain in a conversation. Mm -mm. Actually, my creative writing teacher in Malaysia, who's from the UK, uh, I'll just give a shout out for her. Her name is Sharon Backer. She's a fabulous woman. She's been, she was a teacher and then she's been running creative writing courses for about 30 plus years in Kuala Lumpur and she is fantastic 
And she said to me that a lot of people over the years, because she'd been doing this for so long, she has noticed trends developing in why people choose to write when they do. She often found that it was a way of writing about concealed childhood traumas, not necessarily sexual abuse, but some sort of traumatic episode or episodes in childhood that had never come out. And writing, uh, and maybe under a pseudonym, but just writing about it, and it helped them to get it out, first of all, and also helped them to give them peace from it and give them some kind of closure on it. So writing has a lot of um, benefits, I think, for people. Yeah, definitely. So, Anthony, we are digressing a little bit from okay. the topic of, of the, your music programme. So what's your typical planning like for your radio show? How, how do you go about planning? OK, well, I listen to a lot of music and sometimes something um, just, you know, off the cuff. I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So on my phone, I will click on Shazam and find out what it is if I don't recognise the tune. And then I will try to find it on Spotify or Apple or whatever and keep it and listen to it later. So at some point, during, I usually do this mainly. Uh, I do the recording of the show when I've got the tracks together. I'll do it on a Sunday morning early. The show goes out live on a Wednesday. I will tend to put together the tracks. The, the show was for one hour. So usually I do about 20 minutes of chatting and about 35 to 40 of music. So I have about eight to 10 tracks, depending on the size. A lot of the track length for music coming from West Africa and other places tend to be longer than your standard three minute pop song. So I will either take a bunch of songs that I just like, or I will do a themed version, so a themed program. Like I said, we had one just a few weeks ago called A Taste of West Africa. And sometimes We've done and around Christmas. We will do pick of the year this for the previous year. What what has what have been quite popular on the show? I kind of stole that idea from John Peel. He used to have his festive top fifty or something, wasn't it? And so I kind of stole that idea from him. But but that's okay. Um, and so it tends to be either a, a, an eclectic mix or it will tend to be a themed show. So I tend to recorded here in the room where I'm now. This is in my office upstairs in the house. And then I will edit it and get it ready. So I upload it. I also write a, a playlist with all the, you know, the names of the tracks, the, the, the musicians, the album names, the year and the country of origin. And then I'll also make a Spotify playlist. So I upload all of those two main people in the studio, this Fergal Sachs and uh, Marco Lynchick that usually the Sunday or Monday and that gives them a couple of days to get it you know instilled into the, the program running order and so on on, on the Wednesday so Wednesday uh, midday the program starts and it goes on for an hour and then do you give a little bit of information about each track how you found it what you like about it I do I do yeah and I do that also separately I have two accounts social media accounts that I link to the show one is a Twitter account with the same name as the show Gokhtro and the other one is called is on Instagram and it's Gokhtro1064 because the the frequency on FM is 106.4 in Dublin for the radio station so I will put on that a mix of things I'll put up some photographs of the artist I will put up the limited on Twitter to just four photographs, but you can have 10 on Instagram. So between the two of them, we usually cover 
the show in its entirety. We'll also I'll also put up on Twitter if I find there's a really good video of one of the artists or more than one artist. I will also put them up and give background information about this was recorded live in, let's see, in Mali in the, the date it was done and who was playing on it. And then they can look at the video and see that. Yeah, and sometimes we do uh, commemorative shows. We had a had a very good friend who worked with me whose show was uh, just before mine when I was doing it live in Dublin. And tragically, she died quite young. She was only in her 30s from ovarian cancer. Uh, her name was Dina Ryan. Dina was a wonderful, wonderful radio presenter and a good friend. And so she died just over a year ago. And we did uh, a show in her honour around that time. And then, then again, recently, as an anniversary of her death, uh, we did another. The, the same show was broadcast again. So we would do ones like that. And these are shows also a very good friend of mine, a former patient of mine when I was a GP, who died while I was still in Malaysia. And unfortunately, we because it was during the COVID regulations, we couldn't come to the funeral. So we had a ceremony for him uh, last year in Liverpool. So we went to that. And then we I did a special show for him because he was a, a music journalist. Uh, he did a lot of wonderful things in his career, but also for us. He brought us to see the Dubliners in uh, the Liverpool Philharmonic and introduced us to them and brought us into the green room to meet them. And I got to play John Sheehan's fiddle, the, the fiddle player. I played his fiddle in the in the green room. So all these memories are really important. Uh, so this is somebody who would have known all these major like, English, Irish folk type bands like The Scaffold in Liverpool, the, the Chieftains, the Irish band, uh, and the Dubliners and all of them. So we would do a show with all of that music that everyone who knew him would know that this is the music that he adored, you know. So I get an opportunity to do a range of shows and types of shows, which is great. And Anthony, when do you listen to music? Do you listen to music when you're working or...? I do all the time. I never stop listening to music. I'm listening to it in the car. I listen to it with the headphones so I don't disturb other people. I listen to it. It's on my laptop and I'm at work. If I'm working on a project, it's in the background. You know, I'm listening to that. Yeah, I listen to music pretty constantly. Not too loud because I've had to begin wearing hearing aids in the last year or so. I haven't got very bad um, hearing loss, but it's mild to moderate, like bad enough to require um, some assistance. So I wear hearing aids, um, but uh, I, I can, but I can hear my music through these because modern hearing aids are quite tiny, and also you, they can be aligned through Bluetooth with your phone, so you can listen into your your hearing aids, listen to your music that way as well, and it's it's, it's purposefully kept at a fairly low volume. It's interesting you should bring that up the other day because I was on the bus and I was looking around and virtually everybody was wearing in-ear earbuds. And oh, I yeah. just wondered, because sometimes you can still hear the music quite clearly of someone who's sitting next to you. And I just wonder, in five years' time, are we going to have a whole generation of people with hearing loss issues? I think we are. I think we're already having that now. But a very good friend of mine who now lives in Ireland, but is from London, he has been a concert promoter and he brought most of the African bands that I adore. He brought them all to Britain and all subsequently to Ireland, touring and then playing residency programs in various venues. Now, he's listened to a lot of music 
and you know up front he's on stage big big cabinet speakers blasting out now he was advised many years ago to wear hearing aids but at the time maybe for men it's more of a macho kind of response no i don't need it i'm fine and he now looks back and thinks that he should have done that because the damage continued he continued to listen to this is very loud sort of concert venue music and his ears are quite damaged now and his hearing is very very poor and you have less options less alternatives if your hearing damage is extremely poor it can be very difficult to improve that and um, it's better to pick it up early like mild to moderate impairment like i have and get hearing aids then because you will get you probably get you'll get i mean i notice the difference when i take off my hearing aids at night and going to bed the difference that the sound goes down generally speaking so um they're pretty good and they're pretty unobtrusive when i walk around nobody knows i'm wearing these things they're, they're not evident because if we think back in the day we had a radio in the kitchen you probably had a radio in the living room but now we're all listening to radio on our phone through earbuds or headphones and stuff so it's literally 24 7 isn't it we're listening to youtube radio podcasts yeah, absolutely and uh but for music especially and particularly certain genres of music some will be quite loud my uh my son's partner calls the music that he listens to she calls it boof boof music because it's all full of big bass sounds you know yeah and it's really and i think it's music like that maybe maybe um and also if it's in ear in ear headphones and uh, earphones then you're probably there's no let up from it you know and yeah. of course when you're young you like it to be loud i personally would like to have a a decent hi-fi system and listen to it in a room rather than listening to it with the headphones on but as you say you go around anywhere on a bus or on a train or you walk on the street every other person is wearing in-ear uh, earphones aren't they yeah. anthony what what's in the pipeline for your radio show what's coming up that people can look forward to I'm going to do um, a show on the Liverpool Africa OEA Festival. Then, then the show after that has been planned already. It'll be a, 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 a kind of eclectic mix of stuff, and I've been collecting tracks for that one. That's it for the show. I mean, from the point of view of the medicine, and it's it's sort of being allied to to the arts. I'll be using like that song I mentioned by Mary Cox. I'll be using the arts and music and poetry in teaching medical students. So the new batch will be starting in September. So we're already planning the the curriculum for them because we make changes every every year because from the feedback we get from the current students throughout this year, we then adapt the next year's curriculum so that we hope that it's a better fit the following year and so on so that will include some stuff related to the arts so you're definitely not retired then anthony are you well i only work two days a week i said i won't work mondays i won't work fridays i work tuesday and thursday and that's that's nice i can have a long weekend but yeah i i, I wouldn't see myself sitting about not doing anything you know i've never never been one for that really and I do the radio show, so that's more than enough to keep me going. What I might do, actually, this is a thing that's not yet certain. You were mentioning before about hospital radio. Well, there's a campus radio in university, and I'm thinking that I'll, I'll go along and see if I can get a slot to do a show there once a week. 
No, I haven't. Um, I haven't approached them yet, but I'm. I'm threatening to do it. <laughs> so you could better get that pitch written out and a I, demo. I, I should. A demo ready for them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Anthony, it's been a fascinating conversation and it's so interesting to see how the arts and health can come together and benefit each other. That is absolutely brilliant. That's a real big takeaway, I think, from this conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Ian, and thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Yeah, it's been fabulous. Thank you so much. Oh, you are very welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe on whatever platform you are using. It is free. And if you would like to tell your story, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story.